0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, guys. Good to see you. Welcome. My name is Tim. Welcome to the Vineyard. This is your first time here. I hope uh, if you haven't picked up a booklet yet, I hope you'll pick one up. This is our guide uh, through this whole series right on into the new year. So please, there's one on the back uh, or you can, uh, someone will hand you one. And this is going to be kind of our uh, fill in. I do a fill in every week in the handout, but what I'm just going to use is use this as a guide each week. And of course, we got a little bit of a start on Advent. Today is officially the beginning of Advent. And as we celebrate the coming of Christ, as we celebrate God's great love to his creation in Jesus Christ. And today we're talking about the humble king, the humble king of peace, the one who brings peace. And uh, when you hear the word peace, what do you th- what, what's your definition? If you could think of another word, a synonym, what would it be? That was really an actual question. It wasn't rhetorical. <laughs> I do this sometimes and uh what what is peace to you? Rest. Calm rest. tranquil rest, rest. rest. comfort, comfort. Safety. safety yeah yeah all of these are that's what gives us a sense of peace and uh You know, a lot of times we seem to be dependent upon those things, uh, or at least experiencing all of those wonderful things that you guys mentioned by way of maybe some person or some system or some situation in life, like a like a good leader or a good king or uh, in the days of the Bible would be such. At least someone or something that gave us a sense of safety and peace and tranquility and all. And, you know, but here's the, here's the, here's the deal, though. The deal with peace is that it, it seems to be it's so fragile, is it not? Most peace, I mean, Israel had peace at one time, and you read back in the Old Testament. They didn't even have a king. They had no primary leader out front, and yet they had peace in their midst. But they weren't satisfied because it was not a, let's say, a persona. There was not someone saying to them that things are going to be okay in the flesh. And so they asked for a king when they had God as their leader. And so God was like, really? You want a, you want a king when you have me? And so he says, okay, I'll give you a leader. And, you know, they said, give us a good look. I'm kind of paraphrasing. You guys go with me on this. But it, 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 they said, we, you know, we want a good-looking, strong leader. We want one we can be proud of. And, and so God gives them this guy named Saul. Saul looks the part. He, you know, he's everything that uh, they would think that they would want. And it didn't, if you read this book any at all, you know it didn't work out from, for them with that king. It's like leaders and kings. As much as we do pray for good kings and good or good leaders and good people, when we put all of our all of our trust and our expectation, whether it be in a leader, whether it be in a parent, I mean, some of us put all of our expectations in parents to bring peace to us, and, get, and we found out, hey, that didn't work. You know, it it was fragile. One moment there was peace, and then the next minute there was turmoil. One minute there was hope, and tranquility, and the next minute it was chaos. Any of you relate to any of that? It's like peace is very fragile. It, it can be here one moment and gone the next. And so we tend to go through our lives looking for some place, some person, some way to settle it down and have peace that is somewhat continuous. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, a great Christian theologian from way back, said this. He said, when we are afraid... It contracts our soul. We are not what we should be when we live in fear and we live in the absence of peace. There is something that draws it our souls in and makes us less than what we really should be and really should experience. And so in the middle of all of this comes a promise from God that help is on the way in a big way. Over in Isaiah 9... There's a passage of Scripture that, uh, where God 700 years prior to Jesus, prior to Him coming. Now, can we read this together? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." mighty god and who was born a baby that's not what we expect in our heroes is it we expect a hero to come marching into the city marching into the lies huge array of the army behind him. and god says i'm bringing peace to you and i'm going to bring help to you and he's coming in a child 700 years prior to jesus birth this is promised and um the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, his rule and his reign is going to be one of peace in our lives. We just lost a president, a past president, Bush 41. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? Yesterday. And, uh, you know, it calls me to, to think of back because I've seen from the day I was able to vote, I've always voted from, you know, the moment I got the privilege, received the privilege to do it. So I've watched quite a few presidents come and go and and uh, I was thinking about the whole element of peace and, and how we keep hoping for our leaders to bring some lasting peace and tranquility to our lives and the country and all. And I'm not saying that's all wrong, but it's so funny how fickle that peace is and how they can be here one moment with the stock market and the next minute gone, right? Up and down, there seems to be no stability and no, you can't trust it, the peace, but yet in the midst of this, God promises a peace that will come that is going to surpass all of our understanding of peace. Um, during my, my generation, when I was growing up, you know, there was a war going on and, and, uh, and not World War II. But um, there was, I know that's what you're thinking. Gosh, I didn't know. He looks a lot younger than I was expecting for 1942. I had no idea. But, um, but I was in college and... Um, You know, peace. It was a very popular for those of you who are younger and all. You think peace is a subject now? You should have been alive in the 60s and the 70s, and uh, because we, you know, there was a lot of demands for peace. We wanted peace. And I'm in college, and uh, the president at the time was Richard Nixon, and uh, and his daughter comes to our campus, Tricia Nixon comes through campus. And so I had just gotten news that a good friend of mine had died in Vietnam and I was not in a really good place. I wasn't a Christian yet or anything. And and so I went to the meeting where all these people are out and she's speaking and she seemed like a lovely person, but I was so angry and so uh, so put off by things that I just led kind of a walkout among some of the students. I'm like, let's go play pool. you know, And so we took off and went to the rec room and we played pool. Well, I guess she noticed it because she, you know, about 15 minutes later, she came into the school and came to the pool table where I was. And, you know, she was a cute girl. I thought, man, she looks better up front. I uh, you know, wonder if there's a chance here, you know. Uh, maybe my attitude is changing here. Uh, but But, you know, that disarmed me a bit just talking to her. It was just where I was at the time. And uh, peace was so elusive, it seemed like, for a, for a lot of people in those days. And don't get me, I was no peacenick, okay? Uh, people confuse surfers. And, uh, but if you were down south and you were a surfer, believe me, that's not a hippie peacenik. It might have looked like one, but that wasn't our attitudes at all. And uh, And so... You know, it, it made me think what is how, peace? We look for peace in a president, we look for peace in a leader. We look for peace from a father, we look for peace from a friend, from a marriage, from anyone, from any place, from anything. And it's always elusive. We have it for a moment and it's gone. But this is not taken God by surprise. God knows we were made for peace. It may be cool to live in chaos all the time and think I was created for chaos. You know, but you were made for peace. You were made to have a settledness in your soul and in your life that no one can take from you. You were created for that. Israel did not have that 700 years prior to Christ coming, but the prophet says it is coming, but it's coming in a way that you can't expect because it's not coming in a Saul. It's not coming in these armies. It's not coming that way. It's coming in the package of a little baby. Small. Very small. But this tiny, frail package upon arrival will change everything. And that's been our journey. That's our journey in this series. Um, I, I told the first this stories that, like, right during this period, while I was going through a lot of soul searching, right before uh, I came to know Christ during this period of time, I got invited to this meeting, and they said it was all about peace that this meeting was going to be about a group who would bring peace to the United States. Well, it was a group called the SDS. And uh, you, some of you, you don't even know what that means, but it's Society for, a Dem- uh, gosh, for democratic so- students for a democratic society. Very radical group. I'd never heard of them before, but I went to the meeting, right? I walked into the meeting. There's a dude there with hair down to here, a beard. He's got this ruffly satin shirt on, big bell bottoms. He's from Berkeley, California. Now, this is in Myrtle Beach, Berkeley, California, and I'm thinking, this is the coolest dude I've ever seen in my life, and I'm like, he's really going to help us understand what peace is, and so I'm like, okay, how are we going to get there? How are we going to all get this sense of peace, and then he says, we're going to burn it all down. (laughs) Do you see the contradiction in this? I mean, we human beings, right? We're just going to burn it all down. We're just going to trash it all, just all of it. And I'm, I mean, I, the minute he said that, I'm like, later I'm going surfing. So I was out the door. You know, that was the last last of my meeting with them. And then, of course, a few months later, they did. I mean, in Berkeley and other places, they burnt. I mean, there was terrible things that went on, and that is our struggle with peace. But into the middle of it, again, God speaks, and you know, He speaks peacefully in it in a child, a newborn child. He grabs our attention that way and says, I'm going to upend the world and I'm going to bring peace to this world in a way you never imagined. He will be the very prince of peace and his government that's on his shoulders, his ruling and his reigning. When he comes to your life, he will bring and usher in a peace that passes all understanding. A peace like you've never had with anybody else, with any parent, with any president, with any spouse. With any friend, he will usher in a peace you've never experienced before. That is such a beautiful, beautiful promise from him. One of the most oft-quoted blessings in the Bible is this. Peace be with you. Wonder why that is. You should do a little study. Take your concordance out. Look through it and see how many times you see that blessing in the Old Testament right on into the New Testament. And uh, like we, we just... Mentioned Isaiah 9, 6. Um, He will be the prince of peace. When Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, came to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, to tell him that John was going to be born and that he was to be named John, first words out of Gabriel's mouth was, Do not be afraid. First words. Isn't that neat? The announcement of what God was about to do on the earth was peace. It was, Don't be afraid. When he went to Mary to tell Mary that she was, going to, she was going to deliver the Son of God, the first words out of Gabriel's mouth to her was, Do not be afraid, which is peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Calm down. It'll be all right. When the angels showed up to the shepherds, and we sing, and our kids sing, and our grandkids sing, and we see all these lovely cartoons and claymation things, and the, the shepherds and all, the first words to the shepherds were, Do not be afraid. It's peace be to you. Don't be afraid. God has finally come. He's come to this earth to bring a peace you've never known. After Jesus' resurrection, the disciples are like freaking out. They're like, we're going to get arrested too for hanging out with this guy that was just uh, crucified and put in the grave. And they're behind locked doors hiding. And I love this because I think this is a humorous moment. I do think Jesus has a sense of humor. Because the doors are locked, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus standing with the disciples. Can you imagine that? Like, it's just dead. It's like, bah! You know, and the first words out of Jesus' mouth is what? Peace be with you. You know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Peace with. with you. Don't, don't freak out, guys. I'm here. Peace be with you. We love to hear that because we love peace, and we have this innate thirst and hunger to be able to live a life in a place of peace peacefulness and tranquility and safety and security. In John 14:27 when Jesus is preparing his disciples for his for him to leave and he's telling them that the Holy Spirit's going to come he says these words peace I leave with you my peace I give you Oda, I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid that's the peace that Jesus brings and this peace, which the Bible calls, the word is shalom. Some of you probably know, know the word. but Shalom, is it's, it's a little, it means a little more. Actually, it means a lot more than just tranquility. The word shalom means a putting back together of what has been divided. A putting back together. It's a restoration, a renewal of the things that we lost at one time in humanity and that God now is bringing back in Jesus Christ to our lives. That connection means a lot more than that. So this is going to be our tack this morning for the next few minutes. You can take your booklet, over, open it up uh, to that section, and we'll follow along a little bit in some of their subheadings there. So, Father, we ask for your presence to come this morning. I ask for your help. Speak through your word. Uh, Thank you for the peace I sense in this room even now. Lord, and Jesus, we welcome you here. Great Prince of Peace, mighty God. Savior, counselor, we welcome you here. Would you reveal yourself in your words, Lord, and in the stories, and in the midst of our gathering today at this special time of the year as we remember you and the humility of the Father and the Son for you to come as a little child? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, your first, uh, your first. Uh, part in there is that little things mean a lot. Your first subtitle that you will see in there. Little things mean a lot. Listen, when Isaiah 9 was written, uh, Israel was in a bad place. A lot of darkness. The Assyrians had attacked them and it just pummeled them again and again and again and it looked like there was no hope for Israel to ever see peace. And right in the middle of that comes the words of Isaiah that he was going to send a child. They would... The, The baby, the Prince of Peace was coming to settle. Not the king coming through to take care of the Assyrians, but a baby was coming. Can you imagine what they thought when they heard that? What do you mean a baby's coming? We don't need a baby. We don't need another mouth to feed. We don't need, we need someone to come in and romp and stomp and take names and to control everything. And yet a baby is promised. Mighty God is coming, but mighty God is coming in a way that I dare say none of us would expect in a child. It would change, change the world forever. Prince of Shalom. The prince of putting things back together that have been separated. That's his title. That's him. For unto us a child is born. Little things mean a lot. And you know, other religions have a real problem with this. Never could God ever minimize himself or not, listen, that's not minimize, let's say reduce himself down into a frail package of humanity. Never would God do that because God is great. God is awesome and all-powerful. There is no way God would ever humble himself that way. And certainly God would never allow himself to be crucified. And killed and murdered. Jewish people have a struggle with that. Muslims have a struggle with that. Because that's just not the picture of God. That And that's not the picture of the leaders we want. That type of humility. And that type of humbleness in people. And so that's the promise. Little things mean a lot in God's economy. It's how he does things. Um, you know this too. That little things mean a lot to you. Right? I mean, I mean some of you like big stuff probably. It's Christmas time. Some of you might like big packages, big toys, big gifts. I, you know, I'm at a stage of life where that's not, you know, I tell my kids all the time, like, just write me a note. Give me a, just, just a note. Just send me a note, and that would be the best and the most amazing gift you could give me. Isn't it true, too, that like the things that you remember in life are usually the smallest things that people do that made a difference in your life at that time? Can you think of, it'd be a good time, a good season to journal this out, to think of the people who have said some words to you, kind words or encouragement at a certain time in your life where you felt like you couldn't go on, and then someone just happened to say something to you at that time. I mean, they just happened to say it. And you treasured it. You know, I keep cards like that. It's funny. I've got them stuffed all over the place. Cards from many of you guys and people and from down through the years. And if I get a little down, I'll pull one of those cards out and read it. Like, oh, man, you know. I was blessed to have a band leader. And some of you have been in this church for a while. Hear me talk about him all the time. But he was, he was a gift to me. I had a band director in my life from the second grade till right on out of high school and until, you know, he went on and uh, who spoke words to me uh, that kept me, I mean, I still to this day, thank God for him. I'm like, he didn't know he was doing God's work. He just saw a kid who was like about to screw his life up, but loved music. And he's like, you got to get back to your music, get to your music, stay with your music. You're going to totally mess your life up. I mean, this is so not right, but he grabbed me one day at school, pushed me up against the wall. So you can't do that nowadays. but uh, And you shouldn't. So don't take, don't leave from here and go, oh, you know, no, 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 no. You shouldn't do that. But this is another era, right? And he loved me. He he was like a second dad to me. He grabbed me. He shoved me up against the lockers one day. And he said, don't screw up your life. <laughs> yeah, no. And he, you're headed the wrong direction. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Bill. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I listened a little bit. It um, took Jesus to get my full attention. But I never forgot. I never forgot his input. People, it's the small things. One word, one time in life to me. This is mid-70s. I started playing what they used to call Jesus festivals. Played some here around in the area in, in the south here. And, and so they had this huge, they called it, I think it was Crusade for Christ or something like this at Coastal. And... um they had bands lined up. They did this for a few years, and and so a couple of guys and I, we played one night. Another guy from Larry, named Larry Norman came the next night. And it was just a circuit of people that came in to play. And I wanted to be a counselor too because I wanted to pray with the kids. I was twenty five maybe years old, and I wanted to I wanted to pray with them and be with them when they responded to the end of the the gathering. And so I'm in the session with probably thirty forty other people, and. You know, and I'm writing notes, I'm listening, and, and the guy, that the director, who I don't remember his name at all, but I do remember this scene, he looked at me and he pointed it at me and he said, you're a real student. Well, let me tell you something. I was not a good student in high school at all. My mind was totally somewhere else, not in school. And uh, But Jesus changed that in me. He put a real hunger in me, but nobody had said that to me. But he saw something and he spoke to me and here, all these years later, I'm like, you know what? You sp- I don't know if you spoke that into me or you called it out of me or you just recognized it, but those few words at that moment in time made a difference in my life. It's the small things, the little things that change us. It's the little things. And uh, I bet you've got your story of that too. And you know what? You can be a part of somebody's story by doing the same. It's the small things. Don't wait till you can do a big thing for someone. Do a small thing that becomes great later. Give a gift of something small that will birth and then become life in a big way later on. Secondly, they say in the booklet that little things change a story. And that's so true. It changed the whole narrative of my life. Little things. When someone shared Jesus with me and when that guy spoke that, when people have said words to me, when I found myself in a position or you where suddenly life can change and a little little nuance, a little change, a little tweak in your life certainly changes the whole narrative. Think of where you would be. I don't even want to think of where I would be if it wasn't for those small words from Danny West sharing Jesus to me. All those years ago, if it wasn't for the band director speaking to me, if it wasn't for that director from the crusade speaking to me. Little things. And Israel has, God kind of paints a picture of our own lives with Israel. It's like they go into exile because they can't, they just can't be obedient. And then God has mercy and they have an exodus and they come out. And then they fall away again and they go into exile. And it's this cycle of almost addiction. You know, it's like exile, exodus, exile, exodus, exile, exodus. And 700 years there prior to Jesus coming, God says, I'm going to break the cycle. And it's coming in a way, it's going to be a little small seed that's going to drop into that cycle. And it is going to totally dismantle it. That child is going to bear fruit that will change the cycle of exile and exodus forever. Once peace will come finally, finally. But it comes in how we don't expect it, um, a baby. Uh, I used to do jail ministry back in the seventies. I did it for about seven or eight years or so, or so, and I got into it almost involuntarily. No, I wasn't an inmate. Um, <laughs> no, that, that would have been, you know, that would have been, you know, probably whatever. And um, but but I get a phone call. I get a phone call from the jailer one day, and let me tell you something. Orie County Jail was not like it is now. Back in the seventies, I just want you to know. No, it wasn't. So I get this phone call from the jailer who knew I was a Christian. And, you know, I didn't look like a Christian was supposed to look back in those days. My hair was long. I had a beard and I didn't dress like a preacher or anything like that. But he thought I could relate to the prisoners. So he he calls me. And so I go up and he takes me into the cell block and he locks me in. Lock me in the cell. Then says, Tim, I'll come back in about an hour, you know. And uh, I mean, there's no television. There's no monitors, stuff like nowadays, you know. I mean, he put me in there with Rusty Woomer, this guy who killed and raped and all this kind. He put me in there for like three hours with this guy. And, uh, but you know what happened? You know, it changed my heart. And then on Easter weekend, he would have me come up when the drunk tank was full and I'd sit outside and I'd talk to everybody and everything. But there was a lady I found out who had been coming to the jail for probably 20 years. But her church group would not ordain her as a minister or a pastor, so she had to kind of come at visiting hours. She just couldn't come in when she wanted to. This lady was, she was pretty old, probably 40. Um, I mean, remember I was 25, right? So she's probably 40, no offense to you, 40 year olds, that's very young, I just want you to know. And, um, you know, 40, 45 years old. And she would come in. Her name was Mrs. Henry. And she would come in with a little stool and with her nice little bouffanted hair and her horn-rimmed glasses. And she would come in and take that stool and sit it down in front of those jail cells and say, okay, boys, how are you doing? Well, now the jail's in. Everything's open. Toilet, shower. It's wide open. Everybody's thrown into a big tank and everything's open. Miss Henry did not miss one moment. It didn't affect her. She loved those guys. She would sit there and talk for hours and pray with them. But she really never got the props she deserved at all. Small lady. And then this week, I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm listening to a couple of podcasts. And this story comes along about a lady down in San Diego a woman that Mary Clark Brenner, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, and she just died a few years ago. Mary Clark Brenner, she took a trip, I think it was in uh, 1977 or something like this, down to San Diego with a group to minister in the prison, La Mesa Prison, to go down and to, you know, just love and give some gifts and minister. Well, Mary had been married twice. She grew up, She had husbands who were extremely wealthy. She lived in Hollywood. She had a house on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, She had a closet full of mink stoles. Her neighbors were the old movie stars. That's who she lived next to. But she'd been divorced twice. Well, God really really affected her life in such a way that she came back and wanted to become a nun. Well, there's not too many orders that take twice divorced ladies for nuns, right? Plus, she was five feet, two inches tall. But her heart was changed when she walked into that prison. A prison which housed 7,000 men and 500 women that was meant to house 1,500 people. It's like a city. You can go online and check it all out. It's like a city there. She fell in love with this place and she began to go and minister. So she just created her own order. She's like, if someone won't get in behind me, I'll do it myself. Small. Small. In stature, small in influence at the time. You know what happens? She gets them to give her a cell. 10 by 10 cell where she stays in the prison from Monday morning to Saturday morning every week. Where she could be with her boys. They end up calling her Mother Antonia, her mom. And she called them her sons. Well, in 10 years ago, there was a huge riot there where 20 people were killed. Mother Antonia is 83 years old by now. She's given 30 years of her life to this prison. She's in San Diego on that day when she hears of the riot. She sees on television what's happening. She gets in her car and she makes her way to Tijuana and she makes her way to the prison. Places surrounded by soldiers. The electricity has been cut off. Mother Antonia goes to one of the soldiers' And she goes, you got to let me in there. i got to go talk to my boys. you got to let me in. He goes, we can't let you in there. People are getting killed. We can't do it. She says, you have to let me in there. Finally, she talks her way in, all five foot two inches of her. She walks into that dark prison, and she begins to call out, my sons, my sons, my sons. This is just 10 years ago. She hears a voice, and it's a guy named Blackie, one of the inmates. And he goes, I'm here, mother, I'm here. And Antonia goes up and falls on her knees. And she begs, she says, you have got, I'll help you with the living arrangements. I'll do everything I can, but you cannot do this. You cannot kill people. You have to put the guns down. And Blackie responds with this. The minute we heard your voice, we dropped our weapons out the window. Small things can change a whole story a narrative, a small package, a small voice in a really tough and difficult world at a difficult time, the right words at the right time, so insignificant, can change everything. Philippians 2 tells us of Jesus and his appearing, his coming on the scene and Paul tells his church, he says, Look, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's pretty small, right? Jesus made himself nothing. Made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, smaller still, by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. And that is just about as small as it gets to death on a cross. The power of God, the humility of God expressed in that small package of a baby has everlasting effects for eternity. And you know what? The things that you think are small in your life that you do for others, the words that you speak, the kindness that you exhibit, your neighbor, the kind word, the hello, looking someone in the eye and thanking them, all of those have dramatic effects on people, far far more reaching than you imagine. And at this time of the year, wouldn't it be great if that's the way we approached all of this stress and everything? If we just approached it as, let me do this small thing right now, Let me drop this seed of power in this small word of kindness to someone. In this forgiveness. It could change everything for someone. This is the picture of God's humility. Your last one subheading here is little things move big things. (laughs) I think a five five foot two inch, little small, rejected none of sorts. They did finally accept her by the way. You know, but I mean, when you get the work done, right? I mean, when you get the work done, it, it says something. And so uh, five foot two, once Hollywood elite, now living with the prisoners that she loves in a 10 by 10 seal, walks in, she moved that whole prison. Small things move things, big things. It quelled a riot. It helped bring that to an end. And the small package of Jesus Christ that we talk about at Christmas time, it can move your life. You come into your life, when Christ comes in that small way, it will move you to bigger things. It will bring a peace that the scripture says passes our comprehension, our understanding. It's not subject to the economy, that peace. It's not subject to your bank account. It's not subject to your relationships. It's not subject to something that goes up and down, of which we can be let down by one minute and it can be awesome the next. No, that peace comes in Jesus and it stays with us forever. It's there. That's his promise to us. It's peace. Little things move big things. No more exile. Emmanuel. What does it mean? The title? God is with us, right? Emmanuel, God came down. God stooped low to come and redeem us. He made himself small, but he never was smaller. He made himself frail, though he was ever stronger, for to redeem us, to buy us back, to give us life. I want to read a quote from one of the commentaries um, that I studied for this this morning before we pray and. Speaking of the title, Emmanuel, God with us. If the God who is inescapably present in our lives were a demon or a monster, this affirmation would be one of endless terror, right, with you. But the good news is that the God who is with us is a God who wants to turn our darkness into light, our conflict into shalom, peace, our loss into abundance, our despair into joy, The one who rides with passionate desire at the head of the host of heaven, Lord Almighty, has a passionate desire to do good to all people. If a God like that is with us, that is good news to all eternity. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.